Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by Blue Chew. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Oh, my God. This is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the two-man power trip podcast. This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the prince of pro wrestling, and you are listening to two-man power trip. This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wooker Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there. This is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. So you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We're ready to go or what? Uh, hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me, see me. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't be beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that. And every kid, I, they knew they could kick the out of me. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now, they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. an elbow coming off the ropes. McGraw crashing down across the chest of Snake Brown. A lateral press. It is all over. It is all over. And your victor, Mr. USA, Bugsy McGraw. This is the Two Bay Power Wrestling Brought to you today and powered by our partners over at Blue Chew. Kick off the new year right with a little bit of Blue Chew in your life. And stay tuned a little bit later on in the show to find out how you can take advantage of our very special offer. Courtesy of our friends over at Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. But if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad. And as always on the two-man power trip, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz. And John, today on the show, we are joined by one of the most eccentric men in the history of the wrestling business, a guy who's done it all and seen it all, and that is the one and only Bugsy McGraw joining today's program. And Bugsy's here to talk about his Kickstarter campaign, which we will tell you all about here in just a couple of minutes. But one of these timeless names from the territory era, Bugsy McGraw, obviously, when you see him or when you saw him, you knew that he was a standout in terms of his appearance in professional wrestling. But how about some of that brute force that he brought to the table as well? And we're going to get all into that in this episode as John sits down with Bugsy 
to talk about the Kickstarter campaign, to talk about the territories, and to talk about some of these amazing matches that he took part in during his illustrious career. But as we open up the calendar year of 2019, we got a lot of big stuff in store for you. We're going to kick it off right with Bugsy McGraw. We've got a big anniversary show coming in the next few weeks, and we're also kicking off a huge promotion with Blue Chew to start 2019 off in the right direction. And if you know what I'm talking about with Blue Chew, then hopefully we really will be starting you off in the right direction. But before we get into this interview, we want to also thank everybody for all the downloads and all the support as we close out 2018, especially over on the Triple Threat Podcast. I want to thank everybody for tuning in for the best of episodes and dealing with a little bit of some upload issues that we had in getting that up. Hopefully that never happens again, but just want to take a second there and acknowledge the fact that the podcast hosting company really dropped the ball on that one and really uh, was pissing off the old Chadster over here. So enough of the maintenance work. Let's get over to John here. John, tell us a little bit about what we've got in store today in this interview with Bugsy McGraw and give us a little bit of that information on that Kickstarter campaign that Bugsy's got going right now. Yes, Chad, back at it again here at the two-man power trip, and boy, do we have a great one for you today. Another long one that, uh, you know, I love those long ones, and this is definitely going to be kind of in that category. Not, not too long, so don't, don't go crazy out there, but definitely got some length to it, definitely got some great stuff. I love when we get on an old-school guy like this, somewhat of a rare guy. You don't see him doing too many interviews out there in the podcast world, but I just absolutely love when you get these guys on because... They went to every single territory. The golden era of wrestling, when the territory era was huge, and, and you know you could prosper. You know, you can go to the AWA, you can go to Florida, you can go to Mid Atlantic, you can go to the Mid South. You know, you can go to all these different territories and really flourish and build up your name and be a main eventer and really build up your stock without kind of you know blowing it, if you will. You know, without sort of kind of. Um, losing it without sort of kind of becoming stale or becoming boring or becoming stagnant you could really do something with yourself and really create a name for yourself all over the world basically and especially all over the states and in the territories and really keep fresh and that's one thing that's great about Bugsy because you know, it's really kind of cool when you think about it. He was in the AWA. He was in the WWWF. He was in World Class. He was in the Pacific Northwest. He was in Memphis. He was in Mid-Atlantic. He was in Mid-South. And obviously, he spent a long and chunk of time down there in championship wrestling from Florida. So, I mean, he's been everywhere and he's done everything. And it's great when you can kind of just kind of shoot the breeze and, and talk wrestling, but literally go down every territory and kind of go down memory lane and you hit each stop along the way, which is really cool. I mean, it's obviously some episodes are going to be different. Some episodes are cool where you can talk to certain guys about certain eras and you can really kind of delve deep on one certain topic or one certain area, one certain territory. But I thought this interview was really cool because we get to spread it around and talk about a lot of different territories. Obviously, Championship Wrestling from Florida was one of the main ones that we talked about, talking about Eddie Graham and Dusty Rhodes and the great Malenko and how he was beautiful Brutus down there. It's really great stuff. But when you, you talk about Florida, you talk about all the great different things that he did down there, you got to focus in on some of the NWA World Championship matches that he had. And if you just think about it in your mind, it's like, wow, the NWA World Championship in that era, 
70s and 80s when it was really, really something that really, really meant a whole hell of a lot. And it had those matches in Florida where a lot of those NWA guys and NWA champions kind of made their home. So you're talking about a guy like Dory Funk Jr., one of the greatest of all time. Jack Briscoe, one of the greatest of all time. Harley Race, who may be the greatest of all time. You know, he, we know he's uh, one of the greatest wrestlers on God's Green Earth, but he may be the greatest. So, I mean, it's just great that Bugs was able to wrestle all those world champions. And obviously, didn't even mention... Uh, Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair quite yet as far as wrestling them for the title but I mean it's just amazing to see the transformation and the matches that he's had in his career and of course of course before you know I kind of go off on different tangents talking about different territories and different things like that I just want to mention that the book Brute Power the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw is available via Kickstarter. So go to Kickstarter, type in Bugsy McGraw, and check out the campaign. Definitely want to pledge and get some autographed books, get some regular copies of the autobiography, autobiography, or really go in deep and get that awesome scrapbook. Do yourself a favor. Go to uh, Kickstarter, look up Bugsy McGraw, Brute Power, the autobiography, excuse me, autobiography, and really check out what is available there as far as pledges and stuff that you can get. You know, you donate $30, you get an autograph book. It's pretty amazing. You know, donate a certain amount of money, you'll be able to get that scrapbook, which is pretty much priceless. If you're a real cool, old-school wrestling fan like myself, that is a priceless, priceless thing. And when you talk about scrapbooks and you talk, talk about stuff like that, that is living embodiment history. That is wrestling personified. That is old school to the bone. So again, Kickstarter, the campaign, it is Bugsy McGraw, the autobiography, Brute Power. So check that out. It's done by our buddy Ian Douglas, who's a great, great young author. I'm really looking forward to some things that he's got up his sleeve in the near future. Obviously, can't wait for this book to come out. But like I said, it's Kickstarter one last time. The book is Brute Power, the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. Check it out on Kickstarter. I guarantee you will love it. There is so many good stories in this book. We only get to cover a certain amount, but, you know, it almost, listen to this interview, get the taste, you know, get that, and then definitely head over to Kickstarter and get that book because, um, you know, you'll be salivating at some of these awesome stories about all these wrestling legends because he has literally, Bugsy McGraw has literally wrestled every big-name legend you could possibly think of. Andre the Giant, Macho Man Randy Savage. He's wrestled them all, folks. So please do yourself a favor. Not only enjoy this interview, but please head over to Kickstarter and enjoy the book as well. Definitely support the campaign. Definitely go out there and support Bugsy McGraw, and we want to thank Bugsy for coming on and spending a few minutes with us to discuss the campaign, to discuss the Kickstarter and everything in between from some of these great stories, all these territories, and all these different personalities, like you said, John. But let's wrap it up here. Let's get on over to this interview. Let's hit him with a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business and start the year off right with a little Bugsy McGraw. Now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Wrestling Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also, while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno San Martino, the late great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, the Enforcer Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr. Glenn Kane, Jacobs, the phenomenal AJ Styles, lead WWE attorney Jerry McDivitt, and so many others. 
Also, while you're on the internet, check out ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. They are your superstore for all your wrestling t-shirt needs. Check out our page. Check out Tito Santana, Coco Beware, Kevin Thorne, Magnum TA, and so many others. Also, while you're on the web, check out our website, tmptofwrestling.com. And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado, a former NWA Florida Heavyweight Champion, a former NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champion, and a former NWA America Heavyweight Champion, you may know him as The Brute, but he is Bugsy McGraw. Please enjoy. NWA Florida Heavyweight Champion, a former NWA Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Champion, also a former NWA America Heavyweight Champion. You may know him as the Brute, but he is Bugsy McGraw. Mr. McGraw, welcome to the two-man power trip. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be welcome. Are we on radio or something, or what is this? Yes, the podcast. Yes. We're doing a pod. Yes. We'll do a cast. Okay. <laughs> now, with you, one thing I noticed, I always thought of Bugsy, B-U-G-S-Y, McGraw, but I've noticed with, with the new book that you have out, which is um, obviously on Kickstarter, Brute Power, the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. There's a big Kickstarter campaign, which we'll get into in a second. But what's up? Was it always two Gs? I always thought it was one G. Well, with the G's, yeah, I always use the two G's, not one. And I have for, well, for decades, actually. But, you know, most people, you know, when they spell it, they just use one. But I've always used two G's. I'm a GG. <laughs> now, obviously, you know, I, I briefly mentioned it, but the autobiography, Brute Power, uh, the Autobiography of Bugsy McGraw is on Kickstarter. It's by Ian Douglas, great uh, young author. How did this all come about? How did it come about? Well, I uh, I was approached by some people. They were, they asked me if I wanted to write, you know, uh, you know, to tell my story, you know, my uh, my professional wrestling story and. Uh, so after that also, uh, and I said, uh, yeah, you know, they had an interest in it. So that's what happened. And then they hooked me up with Ian, uh, and he helped me write the book. 
Now, obviously, if the fans out there are interested, you go to Kickstarter, type in Bugsy McGraw, you'll see it, and you, you know you can uh, pledge whatever you want, amount dollar wise, and hopefully, you know, be interested in the book or some autograph. But there is some other cool stuff on there as well, scrapbooks, and I saw some great stuff on there. Just talk a little bit about, you know, what else the fans can get. Well, that's very good, John. Yeah, because the book. 320 pages of the book and in the book they've got roughly you know, over you know, over 50 pictures and the programs and the articles and the posters that you can see in the book too and then if you if you want to you can order uh, my you know, my scrap you know, book too now that's what I that's what I've been saving through the decades for years, you know, with over, with over 500 pictures. And you'll see the photographs, the posters, the articles, um, and the programs from years ago, you know, from, well, well, from the late 60s through the 70s, the 80s, and, and the early part of the 90s. And so you'll see all of that. You'll have, well, it's over, well, it's over, it's over 500 of, of the articles and the pictures and the posters and programs. So you can order that too. There's, but there's a limited number that can, uh, that can order that. Only 75 will be uh, paid. And then also with the, what you'll see on the Kickstarter, you know, well, we need uh, some help to get the book published. We need uh, 300 to, to uh, pre-order the book. And once that happens, we can have that published. And once that starts, then, you know, <clears throat> you know, there's um, various ways you can get the book. You can get the book. Uh, and then you can have it also for, uh, uh, yeah, for, and you know, an extra price, you can have it autographed and on and on and on. <clears throat> and then also, too, if you want to order the, the you know, the, I believe uh, that's a hundred, uh, that's a hundred, that's a hundred and fifty dollars. And, uh, but only, but only 75, we will only have a 75 of them. So they're limited, and uh, so whoever wants it, you know, and that's, you know, that's the gist of it at the present time. Yes, and the project will only be funded and reach its goal by January 16th, so please uh, mark that date and, and keep it in mind. About a little bit about halfway there so far. The pledge has got to be uh, 3500 it's, it's getting there. I mean, it, it's got a couple weeks to go, but it's definitely getting there. And definitely, I, I encourage the fans pledge. I would probably go maybe the forty dollar range. Get the autographed book. You get a signed photo. I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in there. A lot of scrapbooks. Like you said, there's only seventy five books that'll be reserved, uh, which will be the total immersion package. I mean, it's so much cool stuff. There's even dinner with Bucks oh, Bra, which is yeah, amazing yeah. as well. That uh, yes, yes, that's very true. Uh, if they if they want to come and have you know to, uh, you got to spend some personal time with me 
yeah, that I believe that's uh, $1,200. And then we... Yeah. 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 And think about this. We go out to eat then, you know? Yeah, think about this. You get to go out to eat with one of the most uh, crazy, wild uh, wrestlers uh, of the era, definitely during that territory era. You know, it's going to be an interesting dinner, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, yeah, very true. You know, I mean, whatever they want to ask me, uh, I will answer their questions. We'll talk. We'll converse. We'll have a drink or two. We'll, We'll have some food. So, you know. I believe they can find out. Yes, great stuff. Now, obviously, get the Kickstarter, get that all set, and get that all squared away so that you can own a little piece of history and, and own Brew Power, the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. But I got to ask you this: What was it like, you know, getting into it and kind of uh, reliving some stories and kind of, you know, reliving the past? Because those are the the glory days to a lot of fans. Uh, you know, your era, the territory days. Those are kind of like the golden years. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is an era, I call it the, the uh, most exciting era of imperfect. Like I said, the, the late 60s, all of the 70s, the 80s, and you know, the first of the 90s. You're going to see some history. You're going to read some things. You're going to see some things that you've so never seen before. You're going to find out some things that you haven't, you know, that you've... Uh, New, you know, you could hear about you know the real stuff in the ring, out of the ring, the fights in the ring, outside the ring, you know, the fights in the office with the promoter, you, you, all kinds of stuff. You're going to hear about the riots we had. I was involved in I don't know how many riots, but a few of them, and there there were a few that were actually major riots. You know, hundreds of people and. Yeah, this gets, uh, <clears throat> yeah. you'll go behind the scenes. Uh, when they read the book, they'll go travel with me all over the world. We'll go from, uh, yeah, from San Francisco to Texas, you know, to Florida, New York, to Vancouver, Atlanta. Then we go overseas in Japan, and we go to Hong Kong. We go Singapore, New Zealand, Australia, and you can hear about all the things that happen in the ring, out of the ring, you in the promoter's office, you know, and on and on. The fights in the ring, the fights outside of the ring, the fights in the dressing room. You got to hear about the, you know, <clears throat> all the things that happen. You're gonna, you know, the women, the <laughs> everything. I just opened up, you know, and so, you know, I didn't hold back at all. So, you know, they're going to hear some things and they're going to see some things with in the articles. I mean, it is great that you literally have been in every territory. You mentioned Australia and Japan and everything, but I mean, in the States, San Francisco, Texas, uh, New York, and in the WWWF, I mean, you literally wrestled in almost every territory. Ah, uh, yeah, I was, <laughs> I was in, I was in a few of them. That's, uh, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, and just there, you know, there's, 
you know, there's some exciting, really some exciting things that happened, you know, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's just something that you won't, that you want to find anywhere else. You know, you're going to read some things, you go, boy, I never knew that. Wow, this is something. You know, that's the whole idea. You know, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, that I want to write the book because, you know, I just really want to have a chance to open up and to tell everything, you know. Uh, so that's what I did. Now, I just got to talk about, because you just spent a brief period up here. You know, I'm from uh, the New Jersey area, obviously very close to New York. You spent some time, like I mentioned, at WWWF with Vince McMahon Sr., and obviously New York City was a big territory at Madison Square Garden. What was it like, your time in the WWF, working for Vince and being in the, the big lights of the Big Apple? Oh, yeah. You know, overall, I'd have to say that I really enjoyed it up there. You know, we... Uh, we traveled from, uh, well, with Vince McMahon Sr., what he promoted from Maine down uh, to Washington, yeah, D.C., and he went, as, he went as far west as Pittsburgh. So, you know, we traveled all that area. And uh, overall, overall, I really enjoyed it. We, uh, you know, we had a terrific crew at that time. I mean, outstanding crew. Of course, you had, you know, you had uh, Bruno San Martino. You know, he uh, he was a living legend. And I, I had a chance to wrestle him in the garden. And we sold it out. It's a Madison Square Garden. You know, that, yeah, yeah that was exciting, too. Uh, then, uh, you know, we had Ivan Koloff was there. Uh, uh, yes, a superstar, Graham. So Haystack Calhoun, Tony Parisi. Uh, oh boy, there was who else? Uh, Crusher Blackwell, uh, Bobo Brazil. Uh, on and on and on. You just yeah, just a lot of names. And. You mentioned, obviously, Bruno in the garden and how special it was. I mean, can you even talk about the, the electricity in the crowd tonight? Because, you know, that's that's the, the home of Bruno, the, the king of the sellouts at MSG. Yeah, I uh, had Lou, I guess a Captain Lou. You know, I'm sure you've heard of him. <laughs> oh, yeah. And actually, uh, he was allowed to... Uh, Russell also in the ring, so they called it a handicap match. But uh, mainly, you know, I was the one wrestling Bruno. But <clears throat> I had heard about uh, Bruno for years because he was up there for years. And, you know, I mean, he had a reputation. And I had heard, you know, that this man was really in shape and he was really strong. So I knew... I knew that I was in shape, and I knew I was, you know, that I was strong. You know, I could press over, I could press over 500 pounds anytime I wanted. So I was ready for him. I mean, I was in great shape, you know, because I heard all these, you know, for years, I'll hear about him, and you know, so 
I'm walking in the ring and I'm thinking I'm gonna I'm blow him up tonight. He's gonna go on that ring and then uh, and I take it to him. I really take it to him. We go up and down. I mean, just you know, we don't stop. Bang, 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 bang. Oh, and all of a sudden, I look up, and one time I'm in the corner on my knees. He's in the opposite corner, right? He's jumping up and down, ready to to my. I got angry. So I just, you know, you know, I jumped up again and I charged him. Well, I, we went at it again. Yeah. Because I wanted to find out, you know, if all the things I ever heard was true, and they were. This guy was in fantastic shape because I tried to blow him. <clears throat> yeah, he's, he was the man. Do you overall enjoy your time there? You didn't spend a you know, crazy amount of time there, but did you enjoy the time you spent there? Yeah, I sure did. Uh, yeah, I sure did. You know, I enjoyed the area. I enjoyed the guys. Uh, yeah, it, overall, it, it, what can I say? It was a place that enjoyed working. Yeah. I feel like the most of your career, a lot of your career, the bulk of your career, you did end up spending in championship wrestling from Florida down there with Eddie Graham. Was that kind of, you know, your home away from home, if you will? Your your wrestling home was really in uh, championship wrestling from Florida? Well, uh, yeah, when I went there, I was there for three years. And, you know, this uh, just really enjoyed it, too, there. When I first went there, you know, of course, I was working heel. We had... Uh, as... When I first came in, they uh, brought in Rogers as a booker. And, you know, he, he really, I didn't trust him, you know. And uh, you know, he was only there for a short time because, it, because Eddie Graham had told him, you know, you're going to handle the book, but we don't want you to work. But, you know, he, he had a super ego and so uh, so he yeah, so he so he programmed himself in the ring and then he got fired. And after that, yeah, yep, yep, Tusty Rhodes. He took the book. And then after that you know, we really began to roll. That was what a year that was, so nineteen seventy nine was was I mean one of the greatest years ever. Everywhere we went, we either had a packed house or we had a sellout every night. It was amazing. And you guys had such uh, oh my god, an amazing talent roster down there. You think about it, you know, you got. Dory Funk Jr. kind of made his home there. You got Jack Briscoe making his home there. You got Boris Malenko, the great Malenko. I mean, star-studded to say the least. Well, uh, the second time I was there, Malenko was not there. Now, when I first went to Florida the first time, 1969, yeah, Malenko was there, yeah. But that, uh, but the second time I went there, uh, uh, he was not there. Yeah, there was a lot of talent. It was myself, 
uh, Nikita Volkov, Leroy Brown, uh, Jack and Jerry, Briscoe, uh, who else? There was just a bunch. Just a bunch. I'm trying to think of all the names, man. There was just a lot of names. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think here. I'm trying to think. Hold on. So, Andre. Don Morocco. Yeah, Don Morocco was there. Uh, So, uh, so Andre the Giant was in and out. Oh, Uh, yeah. So, Harley Race. Uh, so he was in and out. Uh, so Rick Flair was in and out. Uh, who else? But there was just a lot of guys. I mean, yeah, you had, uh, yeah, Morocco was there. Uh, yeah, the Viking was there. Yeah, we just had a lot of guys. It was an easy, you know, it was an easy, you know, an easy place to work. And think about it. At, yeah. And, and think about it at that time. You know, you, you're really heating it up. You know, NWA title matches against Harley Race and things like that. So you know, you had such a great territory, but you were doing uh, great as well. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't have any complaints there. You know, it went well. You know, and um, so like I was, you know. Like I said, I was there for three years, all in a row, <laughs> and that worked well. Obviously, they give you the title. You end up being Florida heavyweight champion, and, and things are kind of rolling. Did you feel that you know you didn't really want to leave there? Did you feel like you want to stay after that three years, or did you feel like maybe the time was up? Well, you know, it it was very the. Um, Rhodes, yeah, he left, you know, because he had the book, you know, after Rogers. He was there for nearly three years, and then after that, the book changed. And I forget who had the book for sure after that, but uh, yeah, in one way I wanted to leave, the other way I wanted to stay. Yeah, because I wanted to make my home there, you know, because I wanted to live in Florida. There's a problem on there, yeah. So after that, I went to Texas, working for the Von Erics. Yeah. And what was the experience like down there? Because that's, you know, a little bit of a difference. Obviously, you're still getting that great weather, but uh, obviously working for NWA Big Time at the time in, in Dallas, Texas, a.k.a. World Class for, for Fritz. What was that experience like? Uh, working for Fritz and the Von Erich. So when I was there, you know, he had the sons. Uh, the sons were working. He had working in the territory when I was there. Mm-hmm. They, they were working there at the time. And then you had... Uh, Two of the younger sons who were not working yet. One was uh, Chris. I think he uh, he was only twelve years old. The other, Michael. Uh, I think he was only seventeen. He wasn't in the ring yet. But it's uh, it, 
it was uh <laughs> it was unusual in a lot of ways yeah 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 yeah, yeah. well i guess, and i meaning that what? meaning they were getting some preferential treatment yeah about eric yeah oh absolutely Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I was told one time because I got over really well. I went, uh, you know, I went in, I went in as a heel, and then I, oh, I switched to babyface, and I got over really well. And uh, I was told by somebody, if I ever outdraw the Von Eric kids, they will take me off the top. And sure enough, that happened because I was out drawing them, you know. So, you know, they lowered me on the card. Yeah. Yep. What did you, you know, what did you feel about that? Because, you know, you're kind of rocking and rolling. You're, you're kind of the uh, the top dog. And then all of a sudden, jealousy kind of and politics kind of get in the way. Yeah, politics. That's very true, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you have to you 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 either accept it or you leave. And then I don't know how long after that I decided to leave. You know, so I did. And you, you know, basically you lose a loser lose town match to King Kong Bundy, and uh, you know, basically you head back to not really head back, but you head to. Um, Mid-Atlantic area, JCP, and the North Carolina area after that. Yeah, yes. Oh, I went to Charlotte, and they, you know, they ran an, an operation there that was really big. Because they were running at that time, they could run up to five towns a night. So they were really, you know, they were running, they were usually running three to four a night, but up to time, but up to I went off and on, you know, they would run up to five towns a night. What was the experience like there? Because obviously, you know, it, it is different working for the Crockett's and that North Carolina area, but they're starting to become, like you said, starting to become bigger and bigger, and they're starting to become huge on, onto their own, a, a definite number two against the WWF. Yeah, when they went in, see, uh, I was in there twice, actually, so 1983 yep. and 1987. And uh, when they when they wanted to compete against uh, Vince McMahon Jr. and his operation, that was in '87. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, then they started. You know, they wanted to run the country too, so they you know they started to have wrestling shows all over the country. Yeah. Did you think it was a wise move to kind of try to compete that way against uh, Vince and the WBF and the machine that he was building up there? Well, you got to consider that Junior, when he took over, was about uh, 1984. And when Crockett was, he started to run the country, it was 87, I believe or the end of 86, I'm not quite sure which. And uh, it was really hard to say if it was wise or not. But, you know, the one that had the book, you know, was the American Dream, you know. 
and uh, there there was some controversy there. I thought because he wanted he wanted to make sure that you know he that he was one of the top draws and all of that, and so he held. You know there were there were a few people that could have really helped the territory, but you know. Uh, but he kept them down, you know, like, uh, who was it? Yeah. The rock and roll express. They were really hot. And so when they were running towns, they would, and I was usually in that group, you know, with the rock and roll express, but they would have them in the smaller towns. And then he, you know, you know, the dream and flair, and the other guys, you know, they were in the larger towns. And there were many times that we outdrew them. You know, they couldn't believe it. You know, we go to a smaller hmm. town and we outdraw them. But that was mainly because of the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, they were over, I mean, they were really hot. You know what I mean? And, uh, but, they, but they were kept down. And I thought that was wrong. Dusty and Flair weren't happy that the uh, you know the B towns were out drawing their towns. Oh, very true, very true. That, that's that's exactly it. But, you know, if they had you know because it's in the book too. You'll you know you can read this. If they had really shoved the Rock and Roll Express, I mean these kids were so hot that I mean they could have just uh, yeah they could have made millions. So, also off of these kids. I mean, they they were hot. You know, like we would wrestle in a town, and I'd be riding with them every so often. And then on the way home, you got you got between five to eight carloads of women that would follow them all the way back to Charlotte. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. This is not. I'm not exaggerating. Carloads of women would be would follow them all the way back from these towns, you know, way over a hundred miles, you know. I mean, that's how hot they were, you know. It's like it, it, it was amazing. The only the only time the only time I that I ever saw anything like that, and it wasn't the same exactly, but on the same plane was with uh, uh, a kid from Georgia. What was his name? I'm trying to remember <laughs> um, who was really hot, the blonde-headed kid. Wildfire Tommy Rich? There you go, Wildfire Tommy Rich. I saw some of that in Georgia with him. They, You know, they used to follow him back to, you know, Atlanta from uh, from wherever, uh, so every so often, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wildfire was, you know, he was... Yeah, he was a good draw. Very good draw. For sure. Yeah, and we spoke to him not that long ago. He is a, he is quite the, the character as well. Uh, that that's, that is for sure. But you know, going back to not only the, the 1987 period when you were there in uh, with the Crockets, but when you were there in '83 when the first Starcade came around and you and Rufus R. Jones were a tag team, that is a hell of a pairing. Did you? You know, come as any shock to you that wow, Starcade, this is like you know, this is a huge, huge show. This is 
the pre-WrestleMania Super Bowl. This is the pre-WrestleMania, you know, granddaddy of them all. Yes, exactly. You're exactly right. It was. Because they had that, you know, they shot that all over the country, I believe. I'm not sure. Well, you know, they shot it, you know, where they had it on the close, on the close of circuit. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure how many towns, but yeah, they had it in. Oh, boy, I can't say for sure where, but, you know, just in a lot of places, yeah. And that was the first one, the Starcade, the very first one. Rufus R. Jones and I, I think we wrestled the Assassins. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was good, yeah. Were you surprised that it was such a big deal? I mean, you had all these promotions coming together. It was the flair for the gold. Greensboro Coliseum it becomes a little bit of a, uh, a tradition. Were you surprised that it, it all came together because it was so huge? Well, you know, I mean, it was a start, you know, for them and, you know, what they had planned, I guess, for the future. Um you know, like I say, you know, they they were rolling. They were running, you know, between three to four shots a night. So I guess, uh, you know, that was just, you know, like the start of it. And they wanted to do more. So you, they did. So, you know, that was good. Pretty cool to be a part of the, the first Starcade from from my perspective. It's really cool. Obviously, team of Rufus R. Jones is pretty damn cool, too. But, you know, you don't stick around for too long there, and you kind of make your way through. And I'm always fascinated looking back at that Memphis territory, and, you know, obviously uh, Jerry Jarrett running things with Jerry Lawler. But looking through all the names that kind of went through there, and I was a little bit surprised. I guess I maybe I just didn't know. You wrestled a young macho man, Randy Savage, while going through Memphis. Any, yeah. any, you know, any memories of, of the good old Memphis age? Oh yeah, Memphis. You can say was like unusual. They, you know, they they can come up with some stuff you wouldn't see other places usually. You know, they. <laughs> so Macho Man, so Randy Savage. Uh, yeah, so he, he he and his father for a while there, and you probably know this. They were running opposition. Yes. Yes. To Lawler and the oh, and the Jarrett and uh, Randy would get on the interview uh, with his show, and he would always challenge Lawler all the time. You know, I'm the champion here. I'm the real deal. I can take care of myself. I can do. You know, I mean, he was always one being on the uh, the interview. (laughs) You know, said I can handle myself. You know, you know, uh, you know. It it was like a, uh, you could say a veiled, you know, um, what do you say? Oh, what's the word I'm looking for here, John? Go on. Veiled experiment. Yeah, well, a challenge. It, it was like you know, if you really wanna, if you really wanna wrestle me in the ring, I can whip your ass. That's the way it was, you know. I mean, that's the way he presented himself. And then after that, you know, they they joined forces. And I wrestled uh, uh, 
Randy a few times. He's good to work with, you know. I mean, he was a real talent. I mean, I got to know the whole of uh, the whole family, the father, the mother, uh, Randy's wife at all at that time. So Miss Linda, I believe they called her. And um, yeah, that type of thing. I yeah, but yeah, he was a real talent, you know. I mean, he uh, he uh, he could handle himself in the ring. He was a real performer. Uh, he knew how to work. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you were going to, you know, build a wrestler. He can work, take care of himself. He can talk. He, he has the, uh, the great look. He has a complete package and, you know, obviously the, the legendary voice to go with it. Oh, yeah. He did well for himself. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, you're saying Memphis is, is kind of, you know, an unorthodox territory. They do some stuff you don't see from other people. I'm surprised you kind of didn't stay there longer because you kind of fit in with that that Memphis crew, don't you think? Well, uh, there were times that I thought, yeah, yeah, you're right there because I thought there were times that I that I would really fit in, but you know, uh, the same thing in Memphis. There, it was there's a lot of politics, and I didn't enjoy that, you know. You know, I decided, I think, you know, that I wanted to leave after a while, whatever it was, you know, that, you know, that I just decided, you know, okay, I've had enough, you know, and I'm sure, you know, there's a lot of individuals that can hear this podcast and they realize you come to a point in your life and, you know, or at, or, or, or at a few points in your life that you go, hey, I've had enough. I'm not going to take it anymore. So that's what I did. I love that you kind of were a nomadic in the sense where, okay, you know, this isn't working for me. I'll go to Japan, you know, for, uh, for Baba, or I'll go to Japan uh, for new Japan and go with uh, Anoki. Just, I just love that, you know, you're able to kind of pick up and not lose any steam and still be, you know, a top guy and, and still be over wherever you went. Yeah, you know, I was really blessed. Yeah, I was able because I knew. See, the whole, uh, the whole thing there, and you know, they will read it in the book too. That I, you know, I wanted, you know, I, I always wanted to be the best. I wanted to be, you know, the one in the ring that I knew how to work. I knew how to wrestle. I knew how to talk on the interview, and I knew how to draw money. See, and so I—I was not—I was not a selfish worker. I just wanted to get it over. You know what I mean? The match. I wanted, you know, like I had an expression, you know, that I would say to these other wrestlers: I want to be the guy after they watch the matches that when they're driving home, I want to be the guy they're talking about all in the car. Then you know you're over. And the other expression, you know, when you can make the guy all in the bleachers at the top of the row, you love the arena at the very top row. If you can so make him believe, you got the rest of the crowd. That's a great point. 
great wrestling psychology. I, you know, I, I love that very, very old school thought. I don't know if uh, if people are you know smart enough or bright enough to kind of pick up on that stuff uh, with uh, today's wrestling. Yeah, you're very true. Because also the other thing I used, you know, when I saw, you know, after I began, after I was wrestling for a few years, uh, you know, I could see that you go into the ring. And like you say, for instance, uh, if I wrestled Bruno San Martino, I'll in the garden. And then I realized, you know, what is happening? What the what the overall what the overall what the overall situation is when you're in the ring you're one and then you know I realized that that entire crowd right they all become just one and you never ever ever let the crowd control you you control the crowd. I don't care if you're in the garden, because when we uh, when I wrestled Bruno in the garden, you know that uh, for and we sold it out. That holds uh, twenty three thousand people. So I became one in that in that crowd of twenty three thousand. They became one, and I was and, and I was the one in control. I don't know if you understand that, but you know, it's, yeah, it's true. It's oh yeah, true. it's true. You know, <laughs> control the crowd. That is very true. It's kind of uh, maybe a, a lost art, maybe in wrestling, but you definitely need to do that. Was there a point in your career where you, where you said, you know what, you know, I want to, you know, entertain more, or you know, because you, were, you know, obviously you're the brute, this big strong guy, but then you become. Kind of more, you know, if, if an entertainer, you you know, the promos were really crazy. Uh, the beer was getting crazier. Was there a point in your career where, you know, you were like, you know, I, I'm definitely going to uh, suck them in more with uh, some of my words and some of my crazy promos? Uh, well, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, because um, with, you know, when you do your wrestling in the ring which you uh, one of the things you really have to do that's important one thing is when you go in the interview you have to match your work in the ring with your interview that's going to be important but also one of the things i did for many years many 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 years after you know after i began to learn and uh, and i began looking at the overall at the overall situation right that i i hardly ever talked about wrestling you know on in the interview i didn't want to talk about the wrestling no i mean i mean who wants to hear about well i'm a big strong guy and my opponent's a big strong guy and we're going to have a big strong in the in the Boy, it's going to be a tough match, but I know I'm going to win. Oh, that you know that uh, to me that absolutely sucks. You want to get inside their head, absolutely. So that's what I would try to do. I mean, what I would do, uh, you know, the interviews I had. You know, I, I mean, I would talk about their lives, like you know, like 
I know. I know you're watching TV right now, and you're watching me, and you're sitting beside your wife. Her hair is in curlers, and she's got on a moo-moo because she's got a big tire. Uh, I mean, look at her abdomen, that big tire there. And you got and your hair. Your hair is, oh, man, you're going bald, aren't you? I can just see it, yeah. And your kids are walking around. They're eating pizza, and they're dropping it on the floor, and then here comes the dog. And he starts to eat some pizza, and then all of a sudden the dog, he happens to drop some. Is he on the floor? And it wasn't pizza, was it? Now, now you gotta clean it up. Oh yeah, and you can't stand it. I am bad. I am strong. I am good in the ring. Yeah, and you don't like it, do you? Hmm. See, that's the type of thing they used to do. Yeah, you suck them right in with with some stuff that you you're not normally hearing. It's not that generic kind of oh, I hate you, I'm gonna kill you wrestling promo. Oh, yeah, too, because I couldn't stand those. I thought, why waste your time, you know? I mean, I'm, if you got something to say, okay. You know, I mean, you got to talk to them about, you know, their, their life. You know, you're going, oh, mm-hmm. you having a hard time, are you? Oh, how about the mortgage payment? Oh, oh, hmm. you're behind on that. You have to take car payment. Oh, I bet you're behind on that, too. And your kids, they're going to school, but, you know, man, are they learning anything? I bet their grades really suck, don't they? On and on and on. You can go on and on with this. See what I'm saying? Yeah. (laughs) It's just you get in their heads to whereas, you know, they want to come to see you, and they want to see your ass kicked. There you go. Hmm. Masterful work right there. It's really kind of uh, thinking outside the box. Well, yeah. I mean, who wants to hear about, you know, well, yeah, my opponent's tough, I'm tough, well, we'll have a tough match. Well, big deal. I mean, who cares? You know, after a while, you know, because you got to hear that on all the interviews because you, you got other, you know, other wrestlers and they do, you know, their promos on their matches, so you got, you know what, you, the overall thing, you, you have to separate yourself you know, from the herd. You have to. If you're going to have success, you got to, uh, to separate yourself. So that's what I did. That's what, you know, like, the other thing that's really important, too, John, is because you, uh, because you hit on it, you see, some, when, when uh, you know, uh, I was working, I was working, uh, yet was a good guy, you know? Mm-hmm. I would, there's a lot of times that, you know, I would have people say, oh, you're, you're really, you're really funny in the ring. Hmm. John, I never tried to be funny in the ring. I worked off of a premise that has worked throughout the history of mankind. And the premise is, for every action, you have a reaction. I never tried to be funny, but there were a lot of things that the the fans and the other wrestlers, you know, they thought, oh, he's just trying to be funny. I wasn't trying to be funny at all. I worked off of that premise. You have an action, you have a reaction. And that's what I used. 
Hey, let's pause one second here to tell you about the benefits of using Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Now, you don't need to be a genius to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us that need to be enlightened, how about this? It's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to sit in that doctor's office and look like an idiot and wait for your turn. It's got the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, and it's fast acting, and you can use it on a full stomach. And it comes in very discreet packaging, so your nosy-ass mailman isn't going to know what you're going to be doing and taking care of business in your bedroom later tonight. And if I had to give Blue Chew a grade, I would give it a G-O, as in go to BlueChew.com and use the promo code POWERTRIP and get your first shipment free and pay only $5 shipping. Again, it's BlueChew.com, B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Use the promo code POWERTRIP and take advantage of our very special offer. So get over to BlueChew.com right now, because using BlueChew outweighs any of the other alternatives that are out there and make your weekend perfect. And why don't you go and spice up the finer things of life? I love that because when you think about it, I mean, that, that is just a great premise. You're not really trying to be funny. You're just kind of reacting out there, and it's natural, and it's spontaneous, and it's something that, that is just kind of, I think, lost with a, with a lot of the guys. But I, I just think that that's great kind of ring psychology and maybe a little old school. Oh, that is old school, too, because you see guys, I used to see guys, they get concerned, you know, because we, you know, we've looked. Uh, we've talked about it, you know, that you, that you have to have control not only of your match, but of the crowd too. So I would see guys, you know, they'd be wrestling and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you know, the crowd would go quiet and they'd get all, well, they'd get all the flustered and worried. I never, never, not so worried about that, you know, because control. I mean, and that's just the way it was, you know. I mean, if you got control, then you take control, you know. Uh, And that's the way it is. So uh, I don't know what else to say about that, but (laughs) I believe I I let you have the... uh, just of it anyway. Yeah, I love kind of getting in your, your mind there because that is so key, and I think that it, it definitely is lost in a lot of wrestlers, and I guess it is kind of old school, but you guys, the larger-than-life golden era guys, definitely had that control of the crowd and that kind of believability, and you kind of suck the fans in without them even realizing they're getting sucked in. Well, yeah, they came, you know what, I mean, when they came... I mean, you have the fans at the matches, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, they have come. Why? Why did they come? They want to see something exciting. They want to see a fight. They want, you know, they they want to believe. And I can't blame them. I mean, that's the way it is. They came in there. It's the same thing when you see a movie. Actually, you know, I mean, you want to get involved in it. It's the same exact thing. You don't want to sit there and go, well, I didn't like the way you acted there. Well, I think that costume wasn't right. And uh, What about the dialogue? That didn't sound right. No, you want to get involved with this movie. It's the same thing in wrestling. They want to get involved with your matches. So that's what you do. And then, you know, also it depends, uh, too, where you wrestle. You know, it's like wrestling in, wrestling in Malaysia. You know, 
you know, that could be like wild. I mean, super, super wild. I was wrestling in Malaysia, and I can remember, uh, like, they brought in the army. Uh, yeah, for our protection. And believe me, we needed it. We needed the army there, you know, with their handguns and their rifles and everything. Because otherwise, the fans there would have killed us. I mean, like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, dead. Oh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but that's the type of thing, too. You know, I mean, they get excited there, too. I mean, it's like everywhere else you go, you get them excited. You got to expect that, you know, they're going to react. And, you know, these were, you know, some wilder places than, than the U.S. of A. You go to Malaysia and that type of thing. You know, we had to have that, you know, that kind of protection. You know, the Army was there. <laughs> they surrounded the place. So, yeah. You know, and you go to Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, that type of thing. I mean, you know, they could get out of control all in a hurry. I was involved in a lot of riots, you know. Riots are something that unless you've unless you've seen one or you were you were you were in the, you were in the, you were in involved in one, you wouldn't uh, I guess I guess realize, you know, the overall the overall situation. Because riots can be either one of two things. They can be really exciting or they can be really frightening. And so, you know, they'll read that in the book, too, because I was involved in some riots, you know, that I, that, honestly, I really enjoyed. And there was other ones that, you know, I, I was, I was really concerned, you know, for my life. Obviously, uh, riots and crazy, crazy stuff. And the book we're talking about, of course, again, just want to say the brute power the autobiography of Bugsy McGraw. Go over to Kickstarter, pledge the money for that campaign. Let's get that book fully funded, and let's make sure that everyone gets to enjoy it, because I'm sure it's going to be an awesome read and see some other things you get on there, some scrapbooks, for dinner, uh, autographed copies of the book, autographed 8x10s, a lot of awesome stuff from Bugsy. But, Bugsy, as I start to wind it down here, just have to mention or, or ask you, because – you know, we talked about so many territories. We talked about Florida, the classic um, championship wrestling in Florida. We talked about the WWF. Uh, we talked about world class. We didn't even talk about the Pacific Northwest or, or Georgia. I mean, there's uh, Detroit. I mean, there's so many different territories you worked. It's crazy. But do you have a favorite territory? Would it be down there in championship wrestling for Florida? Well, I'd say probably. Uh, you know, that's going to be to pick just one, so I'm going to pick two. Uh, the two places I enjoyed the most, one would be Florida, the other, uh, yeah, New York. And you kind of retired, you know, from, you know, to territory days, and, and it kind of expanded on to, like, you know, the national scene in, in 87, and then kind of towards the, the early 90s as you retired, why did you end up kind of retiring, getting away from the business? Did you feel that you were done, or, or or did you feel maybe, you know, there was another calling for you? Oh, well, now that's a story there. If you got time for it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But 
Yeah, I kind of, at, at one time, back about 87 or 88, it was 88, kind of figure for a while that my career was over. I had been wrestling for 20 years at that time. And, uh, you know, I kind of figured, now I don't see any opportunities. But then I decided, well, you know what? I'll get myself in shape. And then I wanted to work in, uh, yeah, for Vince Jr. So I got myself in excellent shape. I was working out. I was in great shape. I was looking good. And I went down to the arena in Tampa. And I wanted to talk to Pat Patterson because he was the, at that time, he was the number two in the office. So I went over over at the arena to see Pat, and I saw him, and I told him, I said, Pat, I said, I have myself in shape. I look good, and I like to wrestle again, and I want to wrestle for this office. And then right at first, he got really excited. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, man. You'd fit right in here. It should be good. He said, yeah, let's do it. He said, uh, why don't you phone me at the office on Monday? I said, all right. And he said, I will set this up. Man, I thought I was in, you know. So Monday came around, and I phoned, and then they go, well, he's not available. I said, okay, so then I phoned Tuesday. And the same thing, oh, he's not available right now. So so then I phoned Wednesday. And then the same thing, he's not available. So then I waited a week, and I phoned again. Oh, we're sorry, he's not available right now. So I don't know what happened, but, you know, he didn't help me out or, or whatever. So that's when I decided, you know, to leave wrestling, you know, full time. And then you went into the nursing field, right? You ended up in the the, the world of the, the hospital field, if you will. Yeah, I, I I became a registered nurse. Uh, and I worked a trauma unit at a trauma one center. That's as high as you go. So I saw just about everything you could ever see. The car wrecks, the stabbings, you know, the shootings, the heart attacks, I mean, you name it. It's just like I was there and I had to handle it. So, yeah. So that's when I left wrestling to become a uh, registered nurse. I don't know if wrestling and and those riots could quite prepare you for, you know, the, the nursing field, but uh, maybe a little bit, right, with all that, that craziness that, uh, you know, could happen down there in the ring and stabbings and different things like that where fans get a little bit out of control? Oh, well, yeah, because <clears throat> when you work in trauma and you have a case that hits and they're having problems right on the spot, right in front of you, well, you got to handle the problems, otherwise they're going to die. And you, you know, you had to know what you're doing and you had to be prepared for it. And, you know, you can, 
you know, you couldn't say, well, I don't know what to do, all of this. You know, you can't, when you work a trauma, that won't work at all. You better, you know, you have to handle problems. So, you know, it's roughly in a way, it's the same as, uh, you know, having a riot. You better know how to handle yourself, otherwise you're in a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, obviously we're talking about your legendary career, and you said over 20 years in spring, and you pretty much wrestled everywhere. Do you have some favorite opponents and some favorite matches looking back? Uh, yeah, there were a few. I'd say um, high on the list would be uh, Bruno San Martino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really high on the list. He was, you know, he was a true champion, you know, and, you know, like I said before, the man, he had a reputation. He was really strong. I mean, this man was strong, and he was in shape. He wasn't just in great shape. He was in a fantastic shape. And, uh, you know, so he could handle himself, too, in the ring. Uh, I mean, he, he you know, he, he had a lot of integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 he was a solid man. going to mention it. Just a couple of random ones because I know you had a, a bit of a few with them in Florida. Rip Rogers is one of those kind of feuds that, you know, as you, as you study Florida and start to, you know, really dig into some of the 80s stuff, you and Rip had a big feud and then obviously Kevin Sullivan, Mr. Link, Abdullah. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of cool stuff down there. I mean, we were talking about New York, but also a lot of cool stuff down there in Florida. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I had a big feud, you know, there with, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Nikita Volkov, and that's when I made the switch. I was working heel. I'd been working heel for about a year, and then uh, you know I made the, you know I made the switch on, you know on Nikita, and it worked really, really, really well. You know, and you know I got over, and and the fans, you know, they liked it and they loved me, and yeah, it just went well. That was a feud that was really good. There was, you know, others. I can remember working with uh, with Ivan Koloff. You know, that was always good. You know, he was a good worker. Uh, <clears throat> others, too, I'm trying to think. He wrestled everybody. Andre the Giant, Ivan Putsky, Dusty, Wahoo. I mean, you pretty much wrestled a, a who's yeah. who. Yeah, Dusty Rose and I, you know. We had, you know, we had a, well, we had a few, yeah, for a short while, and, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he liked it, you know, I mean, he, well, he he liked my talent, you know, so Mm -hmm. he saw potential, he saw, well, I mean, really what he saw was uh, that, uh, that he would have an opportunity to draw money with me, and so, yeah, he was all for it, and, uh, uh, you know, there were others. I'm trying to think who they were. Uh, I worked with um, I worked with Hanson too. He was good. You know, mm-hmm. he was, yeah, he was a solid worker. You know, he was really aggressive, which I like too. You know, you know, you know, if you're going to be in that ring, you need to be aggressive. Yeah, that's. That's the bottom line. That's the way I see it. And, you know, Andre the Giant, we mentioned Macho Man. I mean, 
geez, it's like uh, a who's who of guys that you've actually been in there in the ring and, and all the territories. I mean, quite a career. So when you kind of look back at your career, and we've kind of you know touched on it briefly, what would you say is the legacy of Bugsy McGraw? When, when you know when the stamp is closed and somebody wants to look back and say, oh, this is what Bugsy McGraw was. What do you think the the legacy of Bugsy was? <laughs> God, that's a real good question. My legacy, I I don't I don't know for sure. I can't say. I would like to think that. Uh, well, you know what it is too, because I've had people still after all this time, after all these years. For instance, I I I left the road in '88, but I continued wrestling while I was in nursing. But I was only wrestling on local shows in Florida and I was only wrestling about one to three times a month for about hmm, roughly 10 to 12 years and uh, you know like I would have people you know in the 90s they would come up to me they would know who I am was and they'd go, oh man, I just wanted to tell you that when I saw you wrestling years ago, I mean, you you were just really great. You were really entertaining, and I just wanted to thank you for all that entertainment. I had other people, without exaggeration, I mean, I've had this happen quite a few times there in the 90s. They would come up to me, and they would go, I remember your interview, and then they would quote my interview word for word. You know, after all those years, I mean, you know, they could quote my interview word for word. It's amazing, uh, you know. And I thought, man, after all this time, you know, because that was a lot of years. I was, uh, you know, well over ten years, and they still recalled my interview and they quoted it. Uh, you know, and I had even now, so this is like, you know, I mean, uh, now we're yeah, yeah, 2000 and uh, 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 19, you know, mm-hmm. this is a, a whole lot of years. And still, every so often, now I'm not saying a lot, I'm not saying a lot at all, you know. Maybe you know three to four times a year. You know, I'll have individuals that walk up. They'll they'll either know who I am or or they find out who I am, and and they come up and they thank me for the entertainment that I provided them. So I guess you could say that's a legacy. Absolutely, I love that. But yeah, that's uh, you know what I'm saying. You know what I what I said before. You know, a while back, I said I I wanted to be the guy when the fans left the arena and they're driving home in the car. I wanted to be the guy they were talking about. So and, and it's the same thing I said. When you're in the ring, if you can make the guy at the top of the arena, at the very, very top, if, oh, if he believes, the rest of the 
the rest of the crowd believes. Yeah, you know, just that thing, you know, just, uh, you know, you, you take, you take some pride in your work. You know, in your profession. Yeah. And like, you're going to see that in the book, you're going to, with the fans, they're going to see, they're going to read about the things, like I said before, they've never heard about before. I mean, it's really exciting. They're going to find out some stuff they they never knew. Oh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that happened behind the scenes that happened in the ring. You know, you had the fights in the ring. You had the fights on the floor. You had the fights in the dressing room. You had the fights in the, you had the promoter's office. You had, you know, just all kinds of stuff happening. You find about, you know, the women and so forth and so on. <laughs> and the riots and, you know, the promoters and you know, uh, the payoffs, on and on. It's going to be, it, it, I mean, it's a real trip. And I just wanted to take, see what I'm saying, is I wanted, when I wanted, when I wrote the book with Ian, uh, because he helped me a lot, you know, I mean, he did a, uh, he did a great job. And when he put, when he put everything together, you know, I mean, just a great, great job. But I wanted, I wanted the person reading this book. I wanted, I wanted them to feel that they were with me. You know, when I made the trip in the car, when I was in the dressing room, when I was in the promoter's office, when I was in the ring, I wanted them to feel they were with me, right beside me the whole time. When we went overseas or we were in the garden. You know, on and on and on, you know, that type of thing. You know, like I want them to really feel that they are a part of it. Amen. I love it. And don't forget, Brute Power, the autobiography of Dougie McGraw. Go to kickstarter.com, check out the campaign, that campaign and back that project. is the autobiography of Dougie McGraw one of the most wild and unorthodox performers of professional wrestling's territorial era. And those territory days are the golden era. So you've got to back this project and back this book. Mr. McGraw, thank you so much for giving us all the time you did today. It's been quite a trip down memory lane. Well, John, I wanted to thank you because obviously, because I was, you know, I mean, I was listening to you talk too. And you, you absolutely have a lot of, uh, knowledge of the profession and, and you know what you're talking about you knew the the questions to ask I, I can see that you know that you that you are really um what should i say you involved you know you you just i mean this is something that you have enjoyed and you are enjoying and so I would like to say it it was a pleasure to talk to you and I want to thank you for your time and, um, you know, just, I mean, any time that you want to talk to me, just let me know and we'll do it. I mean, one way or the other on the podcast, or if you just want to have, I mean, if you just want to have a friendly conversation, we will, young man, we will. Awesome. I would love that. And it's been uh, an honor to talk to you guys. It's awesome stuff. And I will definitely take you up on that. Yeah, uh, yeah, John. One more thing that I, that I want to say to you and to everyone. You know, the, the most important thing that I have found in life 
you need to stay close to God, and he'll stay close to you. His name, Jesus Christ. So that's the bottom line of it. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.